to the Uproom Frisco podcast. To learn more about your Frisco, please visit uproomfrisco.com. Good morning. Happy Mother's Day. It's such an honor to be here. It feels like home. I mean, I look around and I'm like seeing people that are like, I've had so much history with, you know, this is like, so it's a real privilege and honor for me to be here. And I'm going to share a little bit of history and hopefully we'll give you a little bit, even the foundational stuff of where, you know, we've evolved and come from over the years at being at the upper room and why we worship the way we worship, why we worship so long, <laughs> why we do the prayer sets. Um, so I'm just going to give you a little insight into where it started a little bit and, and hopefully give you huh, a little bit more um, passion in your heart to know that you're so important to it because you are important to it, because you have a history with the Lord that he loves to hear. So um, I was going to, it was funny, I was like, okay, I'm going to give my testimony. I've given my testimony a lot. And, um, and it was funny because Michael and I, my husband, uh, we give our testimony a lot. And one day he was in the bathroom kind of like we we're getting ready and complaining about, like, golly, I'm going to have to give my testimony again. And the Lord convicted him and said, that's my testimony. That's my story. And with that, it was crazy because he was kind of correcting him a little bit. And then all of a sudden, he gave him some crazy revelation and insight that he'd never seen before. That's what I love about the Lord when he's like, eh. And I'm going to give you, you know, that's the sweetness of the Lord. And so I'm going to give you a little of my testimony, um, just of who I am and, and a little of the story of why I'm so passionate about worshiping Jesus. Um, and then I'm going to, we're going to get into the word and then I've got some practicals because I am super big on, um, Hey, I'm going to talk about it. We're going to talk about it. And now we're going to do it because yeah. we learn best by doing so in my little song, I mean, you guys aren't going to have to write a song or anything because that's what I usually do. I'm like, all right, and now we're going to write a song. You guys don't have to write a song today, but <laughs> I think we learn the best by doing ourselves. I can talk to you about it all day, but until you encounter, that's what changes us. Um, so I grew up in a, a Christian home. Like I was around the arts my whole life. Um, I was an actor and I was a singer and I started singing with a 16 piece orchestra when I was 16 and started touring, uh, with show bands and did jazz bands and was recording and doing all the fun stuff, sang in a pop band. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Merrick. I met Merrick at that time when I was doing a pop band. Whew. Anyways, um, was doing all that kind of fun stuff. Um, felt like it was what the Lord had called me to do. Like, I was willing to give my 10% at church, but I was not going to give more than my 10% at church. I was going to do the real world stuff, right? Um, so I thought. I met my husband. He was also an actor. I was an actor. I was doing voices for cartoons. We were doing all kinds of commercials and movies. So we got married, and we moved to Los Angeles, and we were going to be lights in the entertainment industry. So we thought, our godly plan, uh, as we think. So I, uh, my godly plan, we get there. Well, um, my husband had just had a radical encounter. Like, his testimony and my testimony are super opposite. He always says, he's like, yeah, my wife, like, she got saved at three. She rededicated her life at six after pillow fighting with her brothers. 
backsliding, you know. So, like, that's what he tells my story as. His story is a lot more gritty, you know, in the, like, salvation message and, uh, like, where he just had this radical encounter. Um, so he was so hungry. When we got married, it's like he could not get enough. Like, we want, he wanted to listen to sermons all the time. He wanted to read everything. I mean, he's just like, give me everything. And so he found this little church uh, outside of L.A. in this place, town called Gardena where we found this pastor that would preach six days a week basically to uh, homeless people that lived in the church. I mean, it was like, but it was South African pastor, and every single message was the same message at the end. It was, it's not your life. Lay down your life. And for whatever reason, I'd never heard that message before, which is really sad, for one. But I heard it six days a week for, like, months at a time. After a while, you're like, okay, God, <laughs> I'll lay down my life. Like, but I had that realization, like, I've, I've lived my life. What's, what do you want from me? So fast forward, we end up, this is six months into our marriage, we end up in the Middle East doing mission work in a biblical school uh, with YWAM. And I was totally fine to go. You know, I was like, this is, this is great. We're going to go for six weeks, and we'll come back to L.A. and do our thing, right? Um, so we get there. My husband has crazy favor. Like, he walks out, and it's a party. It's like, you know, we're, we're living in the West Bank with all the Palestinians. He'd get out there, and be like, whoa, Michael. And he'd get to go rallies, and he'd end up having these crazy testimonies, like getting to do all this stuff. And I walked out of the house, and it was like, wah, wah, wah. Like, bad distraction. Um, and it was just really, really challenging because women aren't really supposed to go out by themselves. It's just a very, it's a very different culture. So um, we were praying about what we were supposed to do next. And I felt like the Lord asked me, would you be willing to stay? And that was really confusing for me. I was like, Lord, I thought I was following you. Like, I thought the last 10 years I've been going after this entertainment thing that I thought was your plan for me. And so I don't understand why you'd have me do this for the last 10 years. You know, my manager in L.A. saying, oh, she's going to book the next pilot season. She's ready. Manager, all the things are opening up and opportunities. And then to, to go stay at home in the Middle East? Like, and I cried for probably about six weeks every day. But I was sitting in Turkey one day in Turkey. We were doing our mission in Turkey, and I was freezing, and everybody was out doing something ministry-related, and I was sitting there crying, and I um, feeling sorry for myself, and I finally had that moment where I was like, Lord, I don't understand, but I'm willing. I don't understand why you're asking this of me, but I'm willing, and in that moment, it wasn't an audible voice, but it might as well have the Lord came in and said, you are called to be a worshiper. And all of a sudden, like, all that I'd thought it was before shifted. And the king of kings, no one greater, was asking me to sing for him. And it was like everything that I'd ever desired or wanted. I mean, it's like it all just, like, looked so small and paled in comparison to the king of kings asking me to sing for him. And guess what? I could do that in my closet. I don't need a stage for that. I don't need a thousand people in an audience to sing for the Lord. Like, all of a sudden, everything changed. And, like, I lined up with who I was called to be. 
like my voice changed. Like, okay, my husband's super honest. He's a very, very honest person. So he was like, he'd say when I'd sing jazz, he's like, yeah, it's great, Mary, but it's missing something. And I'm like, missing something? <laughs> what do you mean it's missing something? You want me to sing louder? Like, what do you want from me? And, but he was like, he never said it again. Because all of a sudden, when I sang, I was singing from a place of identity. That, guys, you can't take that away from me. I'll be a worshiper forever. <laughs> like, it never goes away. And it changed our life. And it made me ask a question. It made me go after this one thing that was like, Lord, what does it look like to worship you? I want to be a worshiper. I don't want to be a performer. All I've ever done is perform. I don't want to get on a stage and perform for you. And it was like, um, so we had a small group, and it was like my turn to be prayed for. And this is usually when I hand over the mic to my husband. He tells this part of the story because this is our story, but he's not here. He's preaching in Dallas today. So, um, so anyways, I uh, was in a small group, and I asked that question. I said, all right, guys, it's my turn to be prayed for. I want to know what it looks like to worship. I don't want to perform. And, um, and so they prayed for me, and there was this one girl who was like a super powerful missionary uh, in Thailand, like just intercessor. And she prays, and she says, Lord, I pray you show Meredith what happens in the spirit realm when she worships, and show her right now. And what happens is my husband, boom, hits the floor and is weeping uncontrollably. Now, I've never seen him do that, and I've never seen him do that again. It was one of those moments that changed everything for us. But what he saw, and the funny thing is, is okay, at this point, he didn't even know why people really worshipped. He was like, why do people stand up in church and sing two songs, you know, or whatever it is? Um, and, he, and the other thing is he was kind of offended at the prayer. He was like, you can't tell God what to do. Like, that was, like, the first thing he thinks. But boom, he hits, he hits the ground and he's crying. And he said, you know how you see, like, visions in your mind? You see them like, you know, okay, you see a picture in your mind. He was like, it wasn't like that. He said, it was like my spirit got ripped open into the, into the heavenlies. And he said, I encountered a whole host of angels. And he said, in that moment, I knew their thoughts. I knew their feelings. I knew what their destiny was. And I knew what they were created for. He said, I saw some that were meant for warring. Some that were meant uh, for healing. That's all they were created to do, just to heal. He saw some that were there for ministering. He just saw all this host, and he knew what they were called to do. And in that moment, he said, their destiny was contingent upon me, my wife's worship. They could not be released into the earth to do what they were called to do until we worshiped God. That moment was so moving for him, he couldn't even talk about it to anybody else for a year. It's like, he said, he, here's, here's another way to put it. Think about it. If you had one destiny, one thing that you were called to do, but it was contingent on somebody in another room that just needed to push a button, but they can't hear you or see you. And he said they were screaming with everything in them, just, just worship. Just worship God. And he said, as soon as I saw, he, as soon as we would begin to worship, he said they would whoo, release into the earth to do what they were called to do. Worship is so much bigger and more powerful than we think.
We are not just singing songs. We're not just, just ourselves encountering. We're not just beholding. I mean, there's so much more happening than we realize. And one day we'll get to see it. One day in that time where you were having a rough time and you came in and worshiped instead of complained. And you see what heaven did on your behalf. Changes everything. Changes everything. All right. Lord, I pray right now for the spirit of wisdom and revelation to see your heart. To see you today. Lord, that we would get more insight into your heart because we want to worship you. We want to behold you. We want to encounter you. We want heaven to come to earth. So we thank you, Lord, right now for the spirit of wisdom and revelation to open our eyes again to who you are and how amazing you are in Jesus' name. All right. Now, I could do a whole, like, teaching on the, the, how you see that in the Bible. You know, there's all this, like, Jehoshaphat, and he's sending out the worshipers, and he goes out before them, and there's Paul and Silas in prison, and they begin to worship in their darkest hour, and what happens, like, you know, uh, not a hurricane, what is it? earthquake and you know multiple people are released you know for uh because of their worship and because of their sacrifice of praise but i feel like the lord gave me something specific for today so i want us to get into john 4 i want you guys to turn to john 4 so what does it look like to worship him Oftentimes, the Lord just gives us this little seed. It's like something that hits your spirit, and you don't have understanding for it. And then it's this journey of it revealing itself, him revealing himself and revealing this thing. And so I feel like we've been on this 17-year journey of what does it look like to worship you, Lord? Teach us. And I feel like we're just, just, just hitting the surface of it. I feel like there's so much more, and my heart and passion is like, Lord, teach me to worship you. So I'm going to give you some keys that we've learned um, over the years, um, and then hopefully we can put into practice. But again, I believe that there's so much more, and he just wants our heart that's hungry to worship. All right. John 4. It's one of my favorite encounters regarding worship. It's one of the ones we know the most, actually. You know, we say, well, there's like two different, you know, quotes that we oftentimes, verses that we use over and over on worship, you know, spirit and truth, and then there's the interest gates, and so we're going to hit both of those today. <laughs> All right, so John 4. I love this story because it's a story that total messes with religious mindsets and shows us that God loves to satisfy the hungry. He gave insight to the Father's heart and what he desires to someone completely undeserving. I say that with quotes. Undeserving in our religious mind. Not only was she a Samaritan, so she wasn't a Jew, and Jewish people and Samaritan people were not friends at that point, and it was not okay to talk to each other, but she was a woman so Jesus wasn't even really supposed to be talking to a woman. And then number three, she was a sinner. Why would she get revelation to the insight of what the Father desires? Why would he give that to her? 
I love it. Because if he's willing to give it to her, then he's willing to give it to me. I mean, that's where you look at somebody and said, if he's going to give it to her, he could give it to me too. I mean, like that is so encouraging to me that it's not because of my perfection, it's because of my hunger. (laughs) It's not because I have it together and have all the right answers. It's because he satisfies the hungry. Satisfies the hungry. All right, so John 4, 7. Uh, We can put it up there. John 4, 7. All right. Jesus, wearied by his long journey, he sat at the edge of Jacob's well. He sent his disciples into the village to buy some food, for it was already afternoon. So soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink of water. Surprised, she said, Why would a Jewish man ask a Samaritan woman for a drink of water? And Jesus replied, If you only knew who I am and the gift that God wants to give you, you'd ask me for a drink and I would give you living water. Okay, I want you to stop there for a second. I want you to see the twinkle in his eye. If you only knew who is talking to you and the gift that the Father has for you, you'd ask me for living water. Okay, let's stop there for a second. Go think about a gift. To me, this says it's intentional. That God has got something for her that he's been waiting to give. Think about a gift. A gift is an intentional thing, right? I love to give gifts to my children. I'm super excited about it when I know it's something that they're either going to love or something they've been longing for. Like, I don't think this was a happenstance encounter. I feel like this was one of those things that he saw longing and he couldn't wait to give a gift. This is insight into the father's heart and it's insight into her longing. Okay, so she says, all right, um, if only you knew who I am and the gift that God wants to give you, you'd ask me for a drink of water and I'll give you living water. Well, the woman replies, but sir, you don't even have a bucket and this well's real deep. So where do we find this living water? And do you really think you're greater than Jacob and our ancestors who dug this well and drank from it? You know, so she's all in the, you know, he's trying to give her a gift of spirit. And she's like, wait, how's this work? <laughs> like, how's this practically going to play out? Are we not always like that a lot of times? We're like, practically, how's this going to play out? You know, like Jesus wants to give us some, something that's spirit. And we're like, yeah, but we don't have a, you know, bucket. <laughs> Lord, forgive me. (laughs) So Jesus answers. He said, if you drink from Jacob's well, you'll be thirsty again and again. But if anyone drinks the living water that I'm going to give them, they'll never be thirsty again. and They will be forever satisfied because it's a gushing fountain of Holy Spirit springing up and flooding you with endless life. Woo! He's speaking spirit language. But again, she goes, well, well, can I have some of that water so I don't have to keep coming back to this well? <laughs> so she's, again, still in the, like, she's in the physical of it, you know? She's still in the flesh of it all. Yeah, but how is this going to play out? Like, where do I get this water from? You don't have a bucket. Okay, so we get there. I got lost. Where am I at? All right, worship and truth to death. All right, 
The woman says, let me have a drink. So this is his way of getting his word of knowledge to get to her heart. Okay, he goes, well, go get your husband. Bring him back here. And she goes, I'm not married. And Jesus goes, that's true. Jesus said, for you've been married five times, and now you're living with a man who's not even your husband. So you just told the truth. Thank you. He doesn't seem offended by that. He's just, thank you for telling the truth. And the woman immediately goes, all right, so it's like he, he now has gotten to her heart, right? He has just given her a word of knowledge that just opens up her heart all of a sudden. And the woman said, you must be a prophet. You must be a prophet. What? Now, here's the next question. Here's the next thing I want you to think about. It's not a question. If you all of a sudden have the attention of a prophet or an angel, or an encounter with Jesus, your question that you're going to ask him, what is your question going to be? Think about it. What would you ask? If you have the full attention of a, of a prophet or somebody that knows God, that you know, the question that you ask is going to give insight into a longing. Are you going to be like, Lord, am I on the right track? Or do I have this? Or, you know, what are you going to ask? Think about it. This is insight into why he tells this woman, why he gives this woman this gift. It's insight to her heart. The next question she asks, tell me this, why, why do our fathers say to worship here, but, but, the, and, but they say um, in, that you should go to Jerusalem and worship there, like which one's right? Like, I don't know which one's right. They say we're supposed to worship here, but they said I'm supposed to worship here, so I don't know what to do, but I want to worship, but I don't know which one's right. So look at the question. The question is she wants to worship. She's a mess, but she has a longing to do it. She wants to know him. She wants to do it right. And at this point, the Lord gives a gift to the woman who's a complete mess but has a desire to know him. And says, believe me, dear woman, the time has come when you won't worship the Father on the mountain or in Jerusalem, but in your heart. Your people don't really know the one they worship. We worship out of our experience, for it's the Jews that salvation is made available. But from here on, get that, from here on, worshiping the Father will be a matter of the, not, won't be a matter of the right place, but of the right heart. <laughs> For God is spirit, and he longs to have sincere worshipers who will worship and adore him in the realm of spirit and truth. It's one of the most, like again, it's the most quoted verse on worship, spirit and truth. This is what the Father's looking for, and he gives it to the woman who's hungry for it. She's not perfect. She doesn't have it together, but she's hungry, and God satisfies the hungry. All right. So here's what I want to do. What's the father looking for? He's looking for worshipers. But before you check out and go, yeah, but I'm not really a, you know, a musician. I'm like, that's not really me. And these ones do it up here, but I'm kind of a, that word worshiper can also be translated to adorers. God is looking for adorers. So that means we all 
are called to be worshipers. This is for all of us, not just the ones who play instruments, although he does love that. All right. So if it's not about a place, it's about the heart. The question then becomes, how do we get to the heart? So I want to get into a little bit of practicals. How do we access our heart? What is that? So that's where we get to the next verse that is quoted so much in scripture regarding worship. We enter his gates with thanksgiving, Psalm 100. We enter his courts with praise. It's so simple that we often miss it. It's so simple that it's actually challenging. We enter his gates with thanksgiving, and we enter his courts with praise. Thanksgiving opens the gate. Thanksgiving opens the gate. What gate? Think about it for a second. If I walk up to you right now and I'm like, Jeremy, thank you so much for your heart. Thank you so much for your song. Man, when you did this the other day, like I was so thankful. That if I just start gushing Thanksgiving, does it open his heart? Did it open mine? Thanksgiving opens hearts. Being thankful opens your heart. Thankfulness shifts your perspective from what you don't have to what you do have. Thankfulness changes your perspective from what you don't have, your lack, to what you do have. Think about it. Have you ever been around a person who's super thankful? Like, and they're just like, oh, do you see that? I just love that so much. And thank you for this. And thank you. And they're just like, everything they do is just super thankful. They're like, they're a joy to be around. And all of a sudden, you see it differently. Like, oh, I just love this cup of coffee. I'm just so thankful for it. You're like, really? Yeah, I love this cup of coffee too. You know, it's like, it just is kind of contagious. But the same goes for complaining. You know, have you been around who complains and just points out, then you're like, yeah, oh, you know, it's just like this cloud that comes over you and it's like everything shuts off. It shuts everything down. Thankfulness opens up the heart. Here's an example of that. My, when we lived in Dallas, we had a small house. We had three little kids, and they have a zillion toys. So our house felt like it was closing in on us at one point. We were like, uh, toys everywhere, the bright colors, the things everywhere, you know. Um, and my husband was like, we've got to get a bigger house. This isn't working. And the Lord said, be thankful. So every day he would practice in the morning, he'd be like, I thank you for this. I thank you for that. I thank you for this. And for like a week, he would just like every single day thanking the Lord. And all of a sudden, he was like, wow, our house looks bigger. Like, I love those blue walls. Like, I mean, just such a great color. You know what I mean? It was like all of a sudden, nothing changed except his perspective. Hey. Nothing changed except it looked different because he saw it from a different light. Thankfulness opens hearts and reminds you, of, reminds you of what is good. All right, another thing is we know that God is close to the humble, right? If you want to stay humble, stay thankful. Why? Because you can't be, because thankfulness acknowledges something somebody else did for you. You can't be prideful and thankful at the same time. You know what else you can't be? You can't be pride, you can't be anxious. And thankful at the same time. 
Anxious is focusing on what possibly could go wrong and what that could project. Thankfulness is focusing on what you already have and what you've been given. You can't be thankful and anxious at the same time. So God is after our hearts, and thankfulness opens our heart. There's a link between open hearts and open heavens. There is a link between open hearts and open heavens. Okay, when we were getting this revelation on uh, thankfulness, it was like early days, upper room, and I started looking everywhere for thank you songs. Just songs that would tell Jesus thank you. And I couldn't find any. I couldn't find one song that just told God thank you. So I started writing them. Like, I, like if you talk to the upper room worshipers, they're like, Meredith is the queen of the thank you songs. <laughs> but I mean, like, it, there was a need and we had a revelation. And here's the thing about you songwriters and you worship leaders. When you get a revelation, if you steward it in song, you'll remember it your whole life long. Like that. <laughs> No, but really, what happens is then we all begin to get to rally around the Lord's revelation. We get to unify around what God is doing in this place. That's the power of writing our own songs in a community, is because a lot of times God is doing something very specific in this place. And then when we write and sing around that, then we all get to rally around that and what the Lord is doing here in this place. Okay, I digress. I went back to songwriting. All right. We enter his gates with thanksgiving, and we enter his courts with praise. What is praise? Well, I want to just tell you what praise is not. Praise is not the first song that you start with in the morning that gets everybody clapping. <laughs> praise is not a tempo. <laughs> oh, sorry. Praise is not a tempo that gets everybody clapping. All right, we know that there are seven Hebrew words for praise, and they're, they're rich in so many different expressions, and I'm not going to go into that today. I challenge you to look them up. It's fantastic, and most of the expressions, I mean, all the expressions that we're doing here are very biblical. The dancing, the boasting in who he is, flashing forth light, they're, they're so colorful and they're gorgeous. All right. But I want to look at just the definition of praise in general, okay? The expression of approval or admiration for someone. Okay, praise. The expression of approval or admiration for someone. So I'm going to make you guys do something real quick. I want you to close your eyes. Close your eyes. And I want you just to think of your favorite characteristic of Jesus. favorite thing about him. It could be anything. Okay. Jeremy, what's yours? Favorite thing about Jesus? Right now. Yeah, right now. Patient. Patient. Ashley, what you got? He's a friend. He's so kind. What you got, Gideon? His joy. Here's the thing. Behind each one of those things is something. 
It's a, it's a thought. It's a, it's a testimony. It's a revelation of something they've experienced of him that they love about him. <laughs> so what I like to say is praise is personal. The more we know someone, the more personal the praise becomes. Right now, if I start just trying to praise somebody in the background, or like I'm like, oh, I like your shirt, and you got a nice smile. I mean, it's going to be kind of shallow, but I can praise my husband because I know him. Praise is personal, and praise is powerful. No one has the same encounters of you as exactly like you. No one has the same testimony in history as you do. So no one can praise for you. (laughs) Nobody can sing your praise like you do. Okay? Here's one of the ways I like to look at it, just in regards to worship. You hear sometimes a singer, and they sing, and it's beautiful. They got a gorgeous voice. They sing all the right notes, great pitch, tone, all the things. And you're like, it was a nice song. And you hear somebody else, and it might be the same exact song, and maybe they're not even as good, but they're singing it with everything they've got. What I like to say is one is a head knowledge, and one is a conviction. One of them is, I know God that way. I know God that way. I like to say, anointing is truth lived out. Anointing is truth lived out. Watch. When you know someone, when you know God in a certain way, we can argue theology all day. You can't argue with my testimony. All right. All right, so I want you guys to know real fast. Well, actually, I'm just I'm going to kind of going backwards, but I'm going to say, all right, I share this. They, they could tell it for me, but I share this one testimony all the time. There's this lady. Her name was Delia, but I think it's such a beautiful example. Her name was Delia, and she was a worship leader. She was in a bad car accident, and she was paralyzed for 22 years. She continued leading worship, okay? So her website said she doesn't, she doesn't walk, she soars. Like, she just continued leading worship no matter what. And I had friends who'd led worship with her before, like, had no feeling in her legs whatsoever. They'd have to help her out of the wheelchair, the whole thing. Okay. Ah, there's a, it's on YouTube. I encourage you to look it up. There was a uh, revival service, and they were praying for her in that service. And you can watch it happen. They're praying for her. The, the, the atmosphere is electric. People are just going for it. And all of a sudden, she starts getting feeling in her legs. Like, all of a sudden, like, they keep praying, and it's this, like, I mean, it's, it's like, drawn out, like, like, 10 minutes of, like, them praying, and all of a sudden, they're, like, picking her up, and she's, like, walking, and, like, they're walking across the room, and it's, like, you know, she's actually got movement in her legs, and you're watching this miracle happen, and I was, like, you know, me of little faith, I was, like, what happened after? Like, was it a full healing, whatever else? So I clicked to the next video, and this, and she is pacing on the stage, and she's going, you're my healer, you're my healer, you're my healer, you're my healer. She's singing three words, you're my healer, but guess what? She knows him as healer. And in that moment, the atmosphere is so charged with healing, I don't know that there's a person in that room that couldn't get healed at that moment. The healer was in the room. She knows him as healer. You can go, well, we don't really believe healings happen today. She's like, you can't argue with it. She was healed. 
Your praise is personal, and it's an invitation for others to experience the same thing. Your praise allows access as a highway for somebody else to encounter. Okay, I want to do an example, though, of oftentimes what we do in corporate worship, okay? This is just a really fun example, all right? So I'm going to just give you an example of oftentimes we think that we're praising, and there's no problem with any of these types of things, but I'm just saying I want you to look at this, okay? So Ashley, come here. Ashley is my example. Okay, ready? I'm going to praise Ashley for you, all right? All right, Ashley, take me higher. I'm going to run to you. I'm waiting for you. I'm waiting for you. Break my chains. I'm going to praise you. I will praise you. Did I praise Ashley? Now, are any of those things wrong to say? Absolutely not. But was it praise? Do you know anything more about Ashley? No. All right, let's try again. All right, Ashley. The first time I saw you, I thought to myself, I would like to be her friend. <laughs> but little did I know what a treasure I'd found. I have watched you and Jeremy go through some ridiculously hard things with humility and honor. When you could have been justified and right, you decided to go low and love and forgive. <laughs> I grew in a massive respect and awe of your family during that season. Not only that, you're a fantastic cook, a creative genius, and I love how you honor your husband and your family. You love well, and I'm thankful to call you friend. <laughs> your heart open to Ashley? Yes. Praise opens your heart. Here's the thing. A lot of times when we come in to these services, one of our kid was missing his shoe. We got in a fight on the way here. All the things. And we're like, I know I love God. I just can't remember why at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> so when we begin to praise... And remind ourselves of who he is and what he's done. All of a sudden, when we start to sing, I love you, or you're holy, it carries weight. Praise opens your heart. Praise opens others' hearts to the one that we praise. Praise brings us into the courts of the Lord. It ushers in the presence of the king. Heaven is attracted to the praise of Jesus. Okay. Early days, upper room, when we were first starting, we were praying for blueprints. Lord, what does it look like? What are we called to? What are we supposed to be doing? What do our prayer sets look like? And we were all praying as a staff. And I just had faith that he was going to just show us somehow. And I don't know, but I was sitting there one day, and all of a sudden the Lord gave me something super simple. One of my favorite things about the Lord is he makes complicated things simple. That's his wisdom. I love his wisdom. It's one of my favorite things. He just, like, takes something that confounds the wise and goes, Wah! and you're like, huh, why didn't I think of it that way? 
So amazing. So we were praying for blueprints. And the Lord said, what if you threw a banquet in honor of me every Sunday morning and at the beginning of every prayer set? What would that look like? What songs would you pick? What testimonies would you tell? What would it look like if you threw a banquet in honor of Jesus every time we gathered? What testimonies would you tell? You wouldn't ask for a raise. Think about it. Throw a banquet in honor of your boss. You wouldn't be like, and I'm really having a hard time with this thing and that person over there. And, you know, like, no, you're talking about honoring and lifting him up. And this is the crazy part about it. What we found is that when you invite him as the guest of honor, he shows up and becomes the host. I'd tell the worship leaders all the time, I'd say, how do you pick a song for somebody who's walked in and has the worst day of their life? And how do you pick a song for somebody who's had the best day of their life? How am I going to pick a, how do you pick a set list for that? Guess what? I don't pick for them. I pick for him. I lift him up. And when he comes into the room, he meets both of them. And guys, the pressure is off. I don't have to figure it out. And here's the thing, you know, we oftentimes want to enter, you know, we want to ask or declare and all that kind of stuff. And I think it's amazing. But when you start with praise and the Lord comes in, you're now interceding from a place of what he's already doing. You're interceding from a place of what he's already, you're in the courts of the Lord. In the courts of the Lord, like that's where he makes his decrees. You're in and now you get to hear what he already wants to do and just partner with that. And it becomes so much easier. We don't have to strive at that moment to figure it out. Heaven is attracted to the praise of Jesus. All right, I want to go back to John 4. We're going to wrap it up into one quick thing. All right. John 4, 28. All right, where are we at? All right, Jesus said to her, you don't have to wait any longer. The anointed one is here. All right, at that moment, the disciples returned and were stunned to see Jesus speaking to a Samaritan woman. All at once, the woman dropped her water jar and ran off to the village and told everyone. That's where we're at. Okay, all at once, the woman dropped her water jar and ran off to a village to tell everyone. Come and meet a man at the well who told me everything I've ever done. Could he be the anointed one we've been waiting for? Could he be the anointed one we were waiting for? All right, and so now I want you to go to John 4, 39. At that moment, so there were many from the Samaritan village who became believers in Jesus because of the testimony. He told me everything I did. Okay, do you hear that? There were many people all came streaming out of the village because she went and told her one testimony. He told me everything I did. And they all went, what? And they all go to see what she's talking about, okay? Could he be the anointed one? So her testimony brought out the people to go see and meet Jesus. Here's the cool part on uh, 439. So there were many Samaritan village who became a believer in Jesus because of the testimony he told me everything I ever did. They begged Jesus to stay with them, so he stayed there for two days, resulting in many more coming to faith in him because of this teaching. Verse 42, 
Then the Samaritan said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you told us, but now we have heard from him for ourselves and are convinced that he really is the savior of the Lord, of the world. The power of this woman's testimony opened the way for a whole village to access and encounter Jesus. Your testimony and your praise gives way for everyone else to encounter. The praise, your praise, when you know him that way, it comes with anointing. It comes with power. And it gives access for others to experience that same thing. Okay? He's so good. And the beautiful thing is, is when you steward that testimony... He loves to give you more. He loves to meet with us. He loves when we honor our history with him. Do you ever tell the story of like how you met your husband or your spouse or whatever else? And it's like this story you get to tell. We get to tell our story and our history with the Lord. And a person in love is contagious. More contagious than COVID, I'll say. A person in love, madly in love with Jesus, is the most contagious thing around. All right, so this is what I want to do. I want to make it practical. And if we could have keys come up. I want to get a chair. Okay, chairs coming up. All right, this is what I want to do. While he plays over us, I want you to get out your phone or your notes or whatever you're going to do, and I want to give you a few minutes, and I want you to write just a small paragraph of what you would say to Jesus at a banquet in honor of him. Just take a minute. Remember a testimony or something that you've experienced or any of those things, and I want you to just take a minute, a couple sentences. What would you say at a banquet in honor of Jesus? It won't make you sing it. Don't worry.